I'm doing oh, a God. goddamn a motherfucking oh, son of a bitch, cocksucker, rock and metal. That was always no what? combat podcast. Yeah, what he said. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. I'm Lee Gerstman, and I was banned from this podcast, and I'm not too happy about it. So, fuck these guys. Go to hell. So, here they are. Dr. Fuck and Wadzilla. Enjoy. I know I will, even if they did ban me. Fucking assholes. Schmack him a gob, it's Dr. Fucking with me is. Yeah, that, that's vodka in a plastic cup. I'm the Ayatollah Alcoholic in Wadley. And I'm Dr. Fuck. Hello. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I know it's nice to meet me. Oh, boy. You'd be nothing without me, pal. Oh, boy. Hey, watch who you're calling boy. <laughs> the, the reason I said that, because, you know, I had another pickle whistler on my YouTube starting a fight with me and he said and i said to him boy are you stretching and then he goes you better never call me boy again i was like guy doesn't understand boy are you stretching doesn't really mean i'm calling him a boy you're racist too huh yeah yeah i'm right ra- <laughs> uh when you call a man a boy that's racism yes that's very, very true that's like, very true like mick mars yes oh that racist Here's the funny thing. I heard this Jake Lee interview months ago, but it's making the rounds now on social media. Like, I guess nobody heard this uh, thing. And we have some people on our on our uh, podcast page. And look, I respect their opinion, but I totally disagree. They all think that Jake's doing this to get publicity. Jake don't give a fuck. You know, Jake went on record saying, hey, man, I want credit for the Bark for the Moon album, but I don't want no money. And you know, Jakey Lee, if everything falls apart, no problem. I'll go back as a recluse for 10 years. You know how Jake rolls. He don't give a fuck. Yeah, he, he wants credit where credit's due. He also went online and said he doesn't want credit for that new horrible rap song Ozzy just did. You know, that's and, and cool. And Ultimate Sin. <laughs> uh, I don't know who interviewed Jake, but Jake's told the story. When Motley was on tour with um, with Ozzy, uh, he d- he doesn't remember if it was either Tommy Lee or Vince Neil he was partying with, and one of them was sharing a mo- room with Mick. So they were all getting fucked up with Robin Crosby, and they go into the room, and they annoyed Mick Mars, who was already in his pajamas, and Mick Mars was like complaining or something, and then Jake being all fucked up said, shut up, old man. And then fucking Mick Mars said, well, at least I ain't a slanty-eyed Jap. And then Jakey Lee went to go kick his ass. And Robin Crosby, that seven-tall fucker, just yeah. picked him up and took him out of the room. <laughs> so, you know, people are, oh, Jakey Lee, all he wants is attention. And, you know, somebody wrote that on our own page. Oh, this guy hasn't done nothing in 30 years since he's been an Aussie. Guy's never heard of Badlands, I guess. And uh, he's just doing it for publicity, blah, blah, blah. I totally disagree, but uh, coming up on the Almost Human page, which is now Dr. Fuck page, because I don't know if you remember this, Ian, because we talked about it on the last episode when you were really smashed on vodka. I no longer have the biggest kiss channel because I I destroyed it. 
Yeah, but you, you, you will again. I mean, you'll get all those people back, so it doesn't matter. No, well, no, a lot of people decided to stay. I've lost a few, dude, and it's ridiculous because, uh, and it's very important to talk about just because I have this this YouTube channel that pretty much brought a lot of attention to this podcast. Um, a lot of people, uh, not a lot, uh, you know, uh, dude, I, before I made the change, I got the subscriber number, I made a notepad, and I kept the subscriber number there. The first day that shit went down, like 10 people left right away. And then it went right back up and it, and it got back on that same fucking number. And then it went down again and it got back up on the same number. As of now, as we're recording this, it's gone down 20 people. So there's been about 50 people I left already, but there's people coming in, you know? So now it's down 20, so let's see, you know, how long it'll take. But it's just, it just passed yesterday the 8 million view mark so over 8 million views on that channel but anyway and this week on wednesday i am gonna and i'm gonna spoil it well anyway people aren't gonna hear uh hear this though after that video's up in the video and then i said no way is mick mars a racist and my pop my puppet pops up saying oh excuse me doctor sucks but i got footage for you and i have footage of mick mars uh, during the recording of 94 where he picks up this uh, this weird thing and he goes up to the camera and he goes, looks like some nigger painting, you know? And um, so then, you know, just to sh- give an example. And then after that, I went into my whole spiel about, you know, Jakey Lee don't give a fuck. He's not doing this shit for attention. It's always the circumstance of the interview. Yeah, you know, hey, it, it sucks, but I, I'll tell you what, man. I, I I know a lot of fucking rock stars that if if you said you know everything they said, you know your opinion might change or it would be, you know, scrutinized. So uh, I, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, saying it's okay what he said, but oh, and also another thing I want to talk about. There's a guy online. I don't know his name. It's unfortunate because I find him hysterical. He is such a Metallica nutswinger. And I find him funny because I discovered him when Hardwired came out. And and there's a reaction video of him first hearing Hardwired. And he's yeah. got this cute girlfriend. And uh, it's just so funny. Like, a guy's about to cry and he's doing air drum. He's like, oh, my God. You know? Well, anyway, I saw a video of his today talking about last night was S&M 2. Uh, yeah. Uh, Metallica S&M 2. Yeah. And he read off the set list. Oh, boy, it's bad. Yeah. I mean, they did Unforgiven 3. Or oh. was it 3? Whatever was on Death oh. Pathetic. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, that was 3. Yeah. Oh, my God. And they I, did I, out... They did out... Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I've seen the set list they've been doing recently. And, uh, I mean, this Hardwired yeah. tour is going on and on forever. And they keep changing it up. I'll give them that. They change it up, and they're bringing out some fucking... Uh, you know, Dark Horses, but all those deep tracks they've been doing on tour, they played last night. So I think they were doing that on the road to, you know, uh, prep up for, you know, uh, uh, the S&M thing. Like Outlaw Torn was played last oh. night. Oh. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it, it's a bad set list. There is some hardwired on there, Moth to Flame and shit like that. But I think that's going to suck with the symphony too, you know? Everything and sucks a lot of repeats. Symphony. They did um, the day comes. 
And I believe, I believe that's the song he said. They played and, and everybody left the stage but James Hetfield. And James Hetfield sang with the orchestra without a guitar. Oh, oh, God. See, see I'm like, you doesn't sound I, promising. I, I like Death Magnetic other than Unforgiven 3 and The Day That Never Comes. Those are, I like every other and song think, on that album. I think those are the only two songs they played. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. All really, right. Really, really bad. Well, well, more bad news. Well, I, I mean, I think it's good news. You know, probably it, it makes you and Taylor Swift upset. But uh, Tool's new album, Fear and Column, in O Column, or however the fuck you say it, debuted at number one. And uh, I've got to listen to it. I do have to listen to it. You know, I haven't heard it yet, so maybe I'll like it. You know what? I am a Tool fan, and so far the only song I heard was the title track, and that's the same one you and me heard when we were at Rockin' Pod. And we both had the same opinion. I was not impressed with it. I, I So many people... Wait, I heard it? Yeah, you oh, God. I heard it at Rockin' Pod? Yeah, because uh, I think... Because remember I had my computer linked up to the TV and I was playing shit, and we were watching something, and that came on next. And while I was taking a shower, dude, and I was like out of the shower, my hair was dry by the time the fucking song was over. It's like a fucking eleven minute song, and and you totally thought it, you know, it blew, and it it did nothing for me. Uh, I need to listen to it because so many people are saying like, oh my god, they knocked it out of the park with this one. It's totally worth the wait. But uh, I've heard the the title track like three times now, and it still hasn't set in with me, and it hasn't gave me. Uh, you know, it hasn't made me want to listen to the album, uh, which you know, something like Tool, you got to set time aside because it is, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a process. Uh, but it really didn't grab me, you know. And, and I'm I'm being honest here. A lot of people, oh my god, it's great. Hasn't got me yet. I need to listen to the full album. But uh, what was so funny though is. You know, it, it took Taylor Swift off the, the number one spot whose album came out the previous week. And, you know, Taylor Swift has a rabid fan base. And they were taken to the Internet, freaking out that this band Tool, and none of these kids knew who Tool was. I mean, because the last Tool album came out, like, what, 2006? And, and they're like, who are these yeah, guys? Yeah, you're right, Ian. I know my Tool. There, there's no <laughs> way that... that there's no way they can dethrone Tay Tay, which is what her fans call her. And it was just so funny to see these 16 year old kids, hey, you know, and hey. 14 year old kids <laughs> freaking out because because this metal band who they've never heard of is going to dethrone uh, their queen. And and some of the quotes that were on like Twitter and Facebook, you know, it was all over the internet this week. Like little girls freaking out because this this heavy metal band was going to fucking dethrone Taylor Swift. And it did. And that I'm happy about, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy, you know. Uh, you know, whether you like Tool or not, uh, for a hard rock, metal progressive, whatever you want to fucking call them, uh, to see people go out and buy a physical product in this day and age, they sold, was it, 248,000 copies uh, last week. That's amazing. Especially considering, especially considering, like uh, the biggest version was the deluxe version was like forty dollars. 
And uh, yeah, it has a TV inside. Yeah, yeah. Have you has, seen that? Oh well, they always every every Tool album. I mean, since uh, Anemia on, always has deluxe packaging. I mean, very much into their art. You know, the guitar player Adam Jones is. I mean. You know, he directs the videos that are always very artistic. I mean, this guy worked on Terminator 2. He's worked on, you know, Jurassic Park. Wow. I didn't, oh, yeah. I, I didn't know that. What do you, oh, yeah. what do, you do? Special uh, effects? Yeah, yeah. He worked in makeup and special effects. That's that's how he got his start. And, uh, okay. you know, so, so he always labors on, you know, whatever they put out. It's a very, you know, intense product. You know, whether, whether you like it or not, they put a lot into it. And uh, that packaging looked looked amazing, uh, but I gotta say, like I it said, does. The, it does. It does. The, the the song did nothing for me. I need to listen to the rest of it because there's two versions. There's the um, the the album and CD version, and then there's the the digital edition, which is even longer. Because I mean, the regular version is like seven songs, but that takes up like the limit still of what you can do with a CD or an album. And then they released a digital edition that had, basically they were instrumental interludes that were added in. They, they kept all the actual songs, you know, like, like vocal songs on, on, you know, the standard release, but they have instrumental interludes on the other one. And I heard some of the instrumental interludes and, and that didn't do anything for me. Uh, but I, I listened to it in a whole, but, uh, so far, they they kind of lost me on this one, but I, I'll give it a chance. But I'm just glad that people are still buying this shit in this day and age where nobody sells records. But a big thing will be, what does it sell the next week? Because even with the biggest acts, you know, especially with hard rock and metal, the first week, yeah. And then the second week, it's it's already off the fucking charts. So we'll see what happens. I saw some... I saw somebody on Facebook um, open up their deluxe edition, and I was very impressed because uh, when they open up the whole Digipack thing, there's a screen in the middle right. with all this like real weird imagery and shit. Oh, yeah. and I was like, man, that's fucking cool. And I don't oh. like Tool, but hey, man, I give credit where credit's due. I thought that shit was badass, you know, but whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm not a Tool fan. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking forward to we got a, a, a review coming up. Not looking forward to it. I was very impressed by their EP. Uh, and uh, then I heard, you know, uh, I'm not the biggest well-versed Tool fan, but I heard about two albums worth. And I was like, oh, man, this is just not doing it for me. But it doesn't really, you know, it's not like I'm kind of dreading uh, to study Tool, but not even half as much as I did when I had to do The Cure. So whatever, maybe it'll do something for me, you know. And you know me, I'm honest, man. If I'm gonna, if it's good, I'll say it's good, you know. Whitfield Crane claims he was once asked by Glenn Tipton to replace Rob Halford and Judas Priest. That's like that's like asking Brett Michaels to join Merciful Fate. Well, uh, I I do find it kind of weird, but I do think uh, Whitfield does have a, a good voice. Now, does he have a priest he voice? He can't hit high. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't, I can't see him doing that. But I do think vocally he's better than what you know he did in Ugly Kid Joe. And I did see him in another band 
that he was in called Medicine, I believe. It was with uh, Logan Matter, who was in uh, Machine Head and Soulfly. And, uh, he, you know, and it was definitely more metal. And he sang really fucking good. Uh, but, man, I can't see him doing fucking Priest. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I don't believe the guy because... Maybe they were trying to get somebody who was popular at the time, and Ugly Kid Joe was popular, you know, around that era. So, who knows? But I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like. But I think no matter what or how he's saying, you know, you still would have had to sing the shit that Glenn Tipton was writing at the time, so I don't know if it would have worked out. <laughs> I saw Peter Frantum last night. Oh, shit. Where at? Uh, the West Palm Beach Amphitheater. Oh, you saw, you saw the fucking, concert. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And I finally saw the Jason Bonham Zeppelin thing. Oh, yeah? Uh, he opened. And um, Peter Frampton played Black Hole Sun, but he played it instrumentally with, uh, with the talk box. And oh, it wow. was awesome. And he played Breaking the Rules, a song that nobody knows. Uh, he released an album. Oh, man, I think it was called Breaking the Rules. In 1980, and I bought it because I loved the title track that I heard on the radio, and it's it's like heavy metal Peter Frampton, wow. and he played the title track last night, and I couldn't believe it because that album sold shit, and he didn't play "I'm in You." Oh, <laughs> I love he that song. He didn't play that. <laughs> I'm he in didn't you. play it, but oh, you're in me. Dude, the guy is so good. The guy was so good, and he told a lot of funny stories, and you know, partying, getting fucked up with Alvin Lee, uh, and you know, the whole, uh, the whole uh, Chris Cornell thing. You know, um, he covered Black Hole Sun on some album with Pearl Jam, backed him up, but he never met Chris Cornell, and he told the story how Chris Cornell called him and said, "Man, I really liked what you did." And Chris Cornell was playing a solo show, and he said, "You know, I'm coming to your. I would, I would really be honored if you join me on stage." And he went and played on stage with him, and he became friends with him and his family and shit. And so he played Black Hole Sun, and then you know the whole. I mean, he had a very big ass screen with a lot of imagery, and it showed like you know black hole like in space, and then all the stars aligned, and it turned into Chris Cornell. It was pretty fucking cool. Uh, I actually, I, I loved it. And, dude, the guy rips, man. And you, I, I don't know if you know the whole story about Peter Frantham. He's, uh, it's his farewell tour because he has an yes. ailment. Yes. He's about to lose all his functions. Yeah. So this ain't no bullshit. So what he's doing now, and he said on stage, he's recording as much as he can. He was recording yesterday. He yeah. did some studio work in West Palm Beach. He's trying to get all these albums done before he loses all his functions to play. So he's going to have albums for the, you know, for years to come. And uh, and he played some of the blues stuff. And you know, I'm not the biggest blues fan. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, I've got that new album. It was album really amazing. That's that's uh, an album he just put out yeah. was was his blues album, and I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Really great. And the guy was so humble and appreciative, and it, and he was funny, man. He, it was just. There was something about last night's show that I haven't experienced probably ever. This really feel-good feeling. You know, he, he was... The way he spoke to the audience and the vibe of everybody laughing along with him and listening to every word he said. You know, nobody hooting and hollering, you know? 
Everybody would just right. listen and giggle, and you know, he was just really, really fucking good. Yeah. And he played for over two hours. Man, I mean, other it than baby, awesome. other than baby, I love your way. I, I pretty much love all Peter Frampton. I'm a big fan of what he did in in uh, the first couple of Humble Pie albums. Uh, you know that that Humble Pie live album, man, is, is fucking amazing. Natural born woman. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Great shit. Steve Marriott, very underrated singer. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah, hell yeah! Great band. Check out check out some humble pie, especially this shit with uh, Peter Frampton. But they did great shit after the live too. album. Is, oh yeah, the live album is the way. To oh yeah, that's amazing. That that fucking that version of fucking I don't need no doctor is fucking incredible, incredible. That's not a cover, right? They they're the ones that wrote it, right? No, no. That's See, a, not, that's yeah, a Ray okay. Char That's a Ray Charles song. That they'd cover. Ah, but but Black, cool. Blackie was doing his cover of the Humble Pie version. Uh, right. But, no, right. it's it's more like the original is more like a traditional, like you know what you would expect out of Ray Charles. Very good song. Ray Charles version is amazing. But what Humble Pie did is kind of like what uh, Vanilla Fudge did with "You Keep Me Hanging On." You know, they really took it, changed around, and made it their own. That's what Humble Pie did with uh, "I Don't Need No Doctor." But you can, I mean, if you, you know, in the the Ray Char- you definitely see where Blackie was like, "Okay, I'm doing a cover of what Humble Pie did." Uh, but man, great, great shit, great '70s rock and roll. And yeah, uh, Peter Frampton, man, kicks ass. Well, another great Love. show, another great show you're gonna get to see. Unfortunately. Uh, is not coming to New Orleans, uh, but Death Angel is doing a headline tour, and you're gonna go to that, I believe. Correct? Yeah, Orlando. I'm taking the road trip because it's headlining. You know, if they were up there opening for Testament and shit, I wouldn't have gone. Right. You know, but it's fucking. I and that new album is fucking great, but the other albums are really good. I, that's another band, kind of like Striper. Well, you know, I can't say. You know, because Striper, I, I think their best album is The Fallen. Or Death Angel, I don't think they'll ever top the Ultraviolence. But the other albums that are coming out, um, I think are better than Frog Through the Park and Act 3. I love Act 3, though. Frog Through the Park, I'm a little am about. But their last few albums are fucking great. So yeah, I'm definitely going to that. And what nice guys, you know. I got to play with them twice. And uh, Mark loves Dracula Die. I gave him the CD and then the second time I met him, he was praising the album, which I was so fucking honored, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Because I told him, dude, we, we, yeah, because uh, when I gave him the CD, and you can see it on YouTube, because I interviewed him on the tour bus, I said, look, I have a song on here called Wake Up Small Thrash, where I, I quote a lot of thrash bands, and where uh, this line, I say, Wake Up Small Thrash, for you soon to be through, throw you from the third floor is what I'm gonna do, the third floor. So he was like, oh, that's awesome. So then when I met him again, he said, uh, yeah, I go, dude, I'm the guy, you know, because we finally got to open with him. He's like, dude, that CD's fucking awesome. I love that Jesus song. And I was like, wow, you know, so that proves he heard it, you know? What about the King of the the Pit? title of the song, but he, (laughs) uh, that ain't a song, is it? Oh, that's, oh, that's Mosh Messiah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, super nice guy. Rob is awesome. A little burnt, but he's awesome. 
Um, they're, they're all good guys. The drummer's hysterical. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to see Death Angel in Orlando. I want to go. And uh, Ex Mortis is opening, which yeah. is another awesome band I, I played with. Um, they're awesome guys, too. So they're, it's going to be a good bill, man. I know. And I, I wish they were so, yeah. If they were coming here, man, I would take that white vinyl that I got of Ultraviolence and got that shit signed. But no, unfortunately, they are skipping the Crescent City. So what are you going to do? Wow, that's cool. I don't have that. Oh, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's nice. I have the original pressing, which fuck original pressing. I'd rather have that because it's 180 gram, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, Want to trade? It, it sounds amazing. You, you know what? You know what? It. Well, I mean, I mean realistically, I'm probably not going to be able to get to the fucking post office. But, dude, I... I would send it to you just so you could get it signed and have it. I, I would, I would trade you. Actually, mine is mine is signed. The ultraviolet. Oh shit! Well, another uh, uh, story that's been all over the internet is uh, this Iron Maiden show in uh, Washington. Did you see about this where uh, where Bruce Dickinson went off on the security guards? Yes, and something new happened again after this, but I'll talk about that after this. All I got to say is these two incidents that happened, uh, hey, man, I got to hand it to Bruce, man. Bruce is, uh, I'm totally with him on that page. You know, if 10 guys beat some dude up and he hopes they sue the fucking venue. You know, the thing is that a lot of security guards are out of hand. You got to remember, security guards are... You know, just anybody. They'll hire anybody. You can go there and say, hey, I want a security of the show. They don't have no background checks on these idiots, you know? Okay. So 10 of them beat the fuck out of some kid and he was getting sent to the hospital. So it's fucking shitty. So then this is a recent thing that happened. Bruce fucking cussed out some guy in the audience that was giving him the fucking Nazi salute. You know, and I was like, fucking right, man. Hell yeah. You know, Billy Milano did that too in SOD uh, when I saw SOD. Some guy was giving him the Nazi salute, and he fucking stopped the show. He goes, you know, my fucking dad killed motherfuckers like you, and that shit was awesome, you know? Fuck those Nazis. Tricks. Hell yeah. Uh, no offense here. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have heard conflicting <laughs> reviews on uh, on the story here. Now, some people have said that the person in question uh, who was attacked was being violent to other people in the show like he was definitely being a problem uh oh okay i didn't know that yeah now but you know that that's the thing you don't know but there's always two sides but some people were saying that this person in question was being uh unruly and and ruining the show for a lot of people but then there's also the accounts of whatever they did to the guy was very excessive now you know if you got 10 dudes on, on one guy that does seem kind of excessive uh, you know I mean I don't know was this guy huge you know was this a guy that required 10 people you know uh, or, or was he just a, uh, a drunk young teenager that got you know unfairly the shit beat out of him uh, well that, I, heard that, he, I heard he wasn't young I heard he wasn't young he was uh, uh, ruining the show he was ruining the show for the people around him and it turned out that guy was Jordan Ruinous. Oh, well then fuck him. Beat the living shit out of him for those <laughs> goddamn circus keyboards. That shit's terrible. Oh. I heard he played on Flamin' Youth. 
Oh God. But uh, but uh, no, no. Kudos to uh, you know, to uh, Bruce, yeah, to Bruce. For, for stepping up. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and and that's yeah. you know, and, and when you have a show like what Maiden does now, it's very choreographed. It's very everything's timed because of you know special effects and flames and stuff like that. So for him to stop the whole shebang, he must have felt uh, that it warranted it. You know. Uh, that something was definitely out of line, and and glad for him to speak up for the fans. I, I, again, you know, you n- you never know what's going on, but I'm glad he stepped in, and I'm definitely glad if somebody's fucking given like, uh, you know, some fucking hail Trump fucking signs that he calls him out for that. You know, fuck that shit, goddamn Nazis. But in even worse news, Motley Crue is putting out a 30th anniversary reissue of Doctor Feelgood. Oh, oh, I must boy. get that. Oh, it's a Coke bottle green I saw vinyl. It, it, yeah, it brings up like deluxe edition brings a bunch of little knickknacks that 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 are pretty much crap. A, yeah. uh, a deck of cards. It's yeah. stupid. Uh, but uh, this is the thing. This is the thing. All the bonus stuff on there was already released years ago on the right. 20th anniversary or something. Right. So there's nothing you know, so, new. It's just. Uh, Nothing Basically, new. you get a colored vinyl. But, you know, the, the, the good thing about it, there's nothing new. <laughs> you know? Because you don't want nothing new on that. What, uh, what the pu- fuck are they going to put that that's going to be any good? Uh, They're sparing you with the crappy fucking extras. Shit that was not good enough for an album that had time for change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have an isolated track that's just the horns from Rattlesnake Shake. Oh God! Did, did you did you see the picture I put up on the podcast page? Uh, there's a got a, a tattoo of time for change on him. <laughs> oh no, I, I didn't. Oh wait a minute, I think I might have seen that. Oh my yeah, God. I put it up as hey, you guys like my new tattoo? Like, I'm <laughs> it was mine. I'm a funny guy. Oh God, what a horrible, horrible song. God, that could Jeez. be that could be neck and neck with Brandon. In fact, I'd have to go back and listen to our episode. I know Time for Change had to be up there. God damn, that shit's horrible. I I agree. It is pretty much, you know, very close to being Brandon-type level crap. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of talking about shit. This week, luckily, we have an album, spoiler alert, that we both love. And if you don't love this oh, album... Oh, actually, you like this? Oh, damn. fuck yeah. I'm shocked, because... I'm shocked because this is actually good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Did I hurt your feeling? <laughs> no, no, because I'm happy to talk about this one. And I'm happy to do it for the great Bridget Rush. She donated uh, above and beyond on the on Wadzilla World uh, for this album. This week we're doing the Sex Pistols debut and lone studio album. Never mind the bullocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Holy hell yeah! Shit. And this is good. This is gonna be a rare one for me because I have. I'm gonna contribute a lot to this episode because I have stories about every song. Now that of that, what went into it, what? Yeah. No, I'm just gonna say I'm. All, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Yep, I have a uh, little little quotes of uh, from Johnny Rotten about what inspired every song that's on this album. 
because uh, I I saw I read it like before we even I knew I was gonna do this. I read an article of Johnny talking about each song on this album, and then you said when we were gonna do it, I went and hunted for it again, and I found it. So I took little notes of everything he said about each song. Oh yeah. And there's some interesting stories what what, what goes on in each song. Oh yeah, and I watched. Uh, I don't know if you have this this DVD. It was a it was a British series, and they put out a lot of DVDs. Have you ever had got any of those classic albums? Uh, yes, DVD? though I don't think I've ever seen Nevermind the Bullock. I love oh. the classic album series. I love oh yeah, no, it's it's great. They have a really good, uh, really good one on on Nevermind the Bullocks, and I watched that earlier today. And I mean, what a fucking landmark fucking album. I mean, this is a stone cold fucking classic. Love this. Oh, yeah, no, this is historic. This is an historic album. Oh hell yeah! And this me, is. Uh, I was gonna say to me, this, this is just as important as Sergeant Pepper. You know, I mean, this is that fucking landmark. Incredible. Yep, I agree. It's 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 yeah, it's up there. You got to put this up there with uh, the greatest albums of all time. Oh yeah, you have to, and yeah. whether whether. And you know that's that's why you know if you hate the Beatles and you hate the Effects Whistles, you can hate them all you want, but you cannot you cannot deny the impact that both those albums, well, the Beatles had, and and the impact that uh, this album had. This album this album was so fucking like historic that I heard it like maybe two years after in seventy nine. This is seventy seven, right? This album. Uh, yes, it was released, uh, the end of 77. My friend Henry is the hugest punk fan, so he will always try to turn me on to punk shit. And some I got, some I didn't. This one I got. This one I got, like, when I heard this at 14 years old, and I went and bought it, even back then. And, uh, I've lived with it for 40 years now. Since 1979, I have, and there is not... A year that goes by where I don't hear this at least half a dozen times. You know, <laughs> I always put this album on. I love this album. Yeah. And, and, and I bought this for you on accident, thinking that you might not have it. I, I bought you the 180 gram, remember, for your birthday? And you're like, oh, I yeah. already got that. So you sent it back to me, and then I sent you another album. <laughs> but you have this yeah, on. I, I have the, on picture disc. Yeah, you got you got it on picture disc and 180 gram. Uh, record day exclusive, and I bought the record day exclusive singles box set. Oh, nice! That, you know, has has some of those songs like uh, "No Fun" and "Berlin Was a Gas" and shit like that on uh on the 45s. I have that box set too. I'm a huge fan of the Pistols. I'm not that big of a fan of all these like I I consider them scab Sex Pistol albums, you know or I mean, there's some good stuff on a Rock and Roll Swindle, but you know, right. there's songs where Steve Jones sings a song, and right. you know, it's kind of like, and a lot of Sid Vicious stuff. But um, this is the only Sex Pistols album to me. Right. They only made one album. Everything else is just compilations of, you know, just milking it. I know? agree, but so, I I do like I do like the live album from the reunion tour. Uh, what'd you think of that Filthy Look yeah, Alive? Yeah, yeah. I love it, and I, and I love the the DVD, the DVD yeah. that came with it. That I don't have. I need to get that. Oh, I've, it's I've really seen, good. I've it's seen funny. footage, it has, but, I, but I haven't seen the whole DVD. 
And it's great. The bonus features has uh, Johnny Rotten on one of those double-decker buses on in London goofing on everything. I love Johnny Rotten. I watched so many Johnny Rotten interviews on YouTube, more than anybody. The guy is just pure attitude. He just doesn't give a fuck, you know? And what a life he's led. You know, his youth, he had a, a what is it called, mono? He had mono yeah. for yeah. a whole year. He When he came out of it, he didn't even know didn't know his parents, didn't know nothing. He had to, like, start from scratch, you know, to become a human again, you know? Hey, you think that's God, bad? I had, God. I, had, I had stereo. That's twice as bad as mono. Oh. I, had it, I had it in both I hate, uh, So, so uh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you tell us how you first discovered the Sex Pistols? Well, like I said, my friend Henry uh, played it for me. And, uh, you know, he played me a lot of punk rock back then. He was really trying to convert me into a punk rocker. And it didn't really work. I, I discovered the Ramones by myself uh, from the um, Over the Edge soundtrack. I bought that before I even seen the movie. And because uh, I saw the, the, the album, it was such a great thing. And that had teenage lobotomy. So that's the only punk rock I discovered myself back then. But he would play me The Clash. I couldn't get into it. Um, the Dead Boys, eh, oh, some of it was okay. Love the Dead Boys. Uh, some of it was all right. Um, and I can't remember what else. Uh, some more obscure. I remember one was called Dead Presidents. Uh, the Dead Kennedys, I didn't yeah. care for. Uh, you know, ju just a bunch of shit. But this is the one that got me, you know. And, uh, you know, and then also hearing, you know, in the song Bodies. With all that bad language, I mean, you never heard bad words back then. It's and when you did, it was like a word, like working class hero, you know. Till yeah. you're so fucking crazy, it's like, ooh, you said fucking, you know. But this is like, fuck this, fuck that, fuck that little fucking brat, you know. It's like, what the fuck, you know. And uh, I, I, I absolutely fell in love with this album. And you know, I am what you would consider a punk rock poser because. I am the equivalent of some guy that would say, oh, I don't like thrash, but I love Metallica. You know what I mean? Because I like the popular punk rock bands. I love the Ramones. I love uh, uh, the Sex Pistols. Those are my favorite punk bands. But I love the Fear. I, well, Fear. Um, and I love Exploited. Exploited is hilarious. You like uh, Misfits, right? Oh, and the Misfits. Of course, the Misfits. Horror punk. I love Misfits. And uh, that's about it. That's really about it. Um, I mean, I'm probably forgetting a, a band or two, but I'm talking about bands that I actually own full albums and I listen to the full albums, you know, and uh, those are my bands. But I am a punk rock poser. I'm not a, an aficionado of punk. But, um, oh, I like the first Black Flag. Um, that one was good, too. I did enjoy that album. But uh, how about you? Uh, well, I got to these guys probably, well, first exposed to them in the mid-80s. And it was a friend of mine, Ben Poskins. And me and oh, ben, ben. Yeah, me and Ben. You love that guy. Uh, we used to listen. We, we, we were break dancers. <laughs> I mean, we, we listened to like, like break dance oh, music. Oh, really? Yeah. You and, were a break dancer? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 
Well, well that, that was that was the first music that you know besides what my parents turned me on to. I got into black music way before uh, anything else. You know, you know, my dad exposed me to hard rock. My mom exposed me to pop, and I love both that. But I discovered black music on my own, and and I loved it. And then like you know, uh, and and not just early hip hop, but you know like R and B and stuff. I was really into. But we, I mean, we were a couple of kids. I mean, you gotta look at the times. We used to you know parachute pants and we would break dance and shit. But then, you know, we we just got older, and he went into punk. And he, you know, he became a skater, and I went into metal and hard rock. And I would try to get him, you know, into hard rock I was listening to, and he would try to get me into punk rock. And uh, I was kind of like you. A lot of it fell on deaf ears, and I thought it was noise, didn't do much. Uh, but the Misfits and, and the Sex Pistols were the ones that I, like, right away, I was like, okay, all right, I, I like this. But even though I, I liked the Sex Pistols, I think I got into the Misfits more. The Misfits, I, I got like right away, really got into them. But the Pistols took me a little bit longer. I liked it, but till I got like fully into it and appreciated it was was like probably late '80s, early '90s. Uh, you know, when I was like, ah, oh, just like they had so much of a following and such a legend. I was like, ah, I liked it, but I didn't get, you know, it didn't do as much for me as the Misfits did. Maybe I need to listen to it again. And I did. And then it sunk in. And then I just kept playing it, playing it. And I tried to play it for a lot of my metal friends and, and most of them didn't get it. They were like, nah, nah. And they were kind of like me, like, okay, I, I, I think that Misfits shit, but I'm not, I'm not getting the pistols. But, uh, but man, I got into it, loved it, and I've been listening to this shit. You know, you've been listening to it for like, you know, 40 years. I've been listening to it for, you know, probably around 30 years. Uh, and this is just a fucking masterpiece. You know, and, and uh, you know, like a, our resident punk rocker, you know, well, we have a couple. We, we definitely have a couple, but, you know, I think of Mr. T, you know, and he hates the Sex Pistols. He's all about the Ramones. And hey, I love the Ramones. I love the Ramones. The Ramones never did an album this good. You know, and I'm sorry. The Ramones have some great albums, but from start to finish, I don't think there's any punk band who's ever done an album start to finish that is this fucking good. This solid, this quality of songwriting. Uh, just, just fucking amazing. And I love that they imploded after this. You know, I think about like, goddamn. If only Guns N' Roses only did Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> you know, how good would they be? You know, without the horrible shit that followed. You know, no spaghetti incident. No user illusions. No Chinese democracy. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, and th this to me is one of those albums like an Appetite for Destru Destruction. Uh, you know, Nevermind the Bullets, Sgt. Pepper. I mean, these are landmark albums that changed music. Uh, change, change the whole attitude. Change uh, what was popular. You know, I mean, even artists that you wouldn't think, you know, would love shit like this. Like Neil Young loved this shit. Talked about Johnny Rotten and Hey Hey My My. You know, he knew this was this was a sign of something new. This was something big. This was something, uh, you know, that was cutting the fat off all the horrible corporate fucking 
progressive bullshit that was coming out at the time. The Emerson, Lake, and Palmers. The fucking, you know, uh, Kansas. You know, the fucking disco. You know, this shit comes out in the middle and just strips all that away and takes rock back to its primordial basics. And, and it's angry as fuck, too. It's not even being nice, you know. There's no nice little, you know, school time lyrics like there was even in old days rock and roll. This was basic rock and roll, but with angry fucking lyrics. Shit ton of attitude. And uh, and it was smart, too. It wasn't dumb. And that's, that's what I love about it, too. A lot of these lyrics stand up, and a lot of what they stood for stands up to this day. And I have nothing but respect for, for Johnny Rock. I mean, amazing. I saw him uh, last year. I, I got to see Pill. I got to admit, it was kind of a disappointing concert. But I never got into Pill the same way I did, you know, the Sex Pistols. But the guy is a stand-up guy. He's no bullshit, like you said. This guy, uh, you know, walks it like he talks it. Interrupt this review of the Sex Pistols for a late-breaking news. Ian, check this shit out. Singer James Durbin of Quiet Riot has quit the band two months before the release of the new studio album. <laughs> what the fuck? Is there more of a train wreck than Quiet Riot? So you're saying I have Seriously. a chance. I have a chance. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I would I wonder if Frank Vinali knows, because, you know, he ain't around no more, you know? I wonder if he got the news. <laughs> awesome. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, so you want to get into the album? Yeah, man. Why don't you take the first track, which is the amazing... Oh, well, here's another thing. we got to see what version you're going... Are we going by the same versions? Well, I don't know. I only I know I only know the version I've had since '79. Every version I bought's the same. All right. What the fuck are you eating? Fuck your business. Because <laughs> it's all over the mic. <laughs> um. Uh, what, what do you mean? Are there bonus tracks? They're not in order. How do you? Uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm looking. There's uh, well, there's a there's the original 11 track version, then there's the 12 bat 12 track UK version and the 12 track US edition. Uh, I, I guess we'll just go through song by song, and if one of us, uh, you know, if one of them's out of order, we'll uh, we'll adjust it. And fuck bonus tracks. You know how I feel about bonus. Tracks. Yeah, yeah. No, we're not doing bonus tracks. We're just doing you know regular tracks. They ruin albums. But you know, like on the original, original, uh, Submission wasn't included. Okay, well, I have that. So in 79, it was already on the album. Right. So you, you have you have the the 12-track uh, U.S. version. And I, that might be what I did. I don't know. I, I've got like the deluxe one they just put out a couple years ago that's got like 57,000 tracks on it. But, uh, but I think we all agree it opens up with Holidays in the Sun. So why don't you uh, take that? Yeah, it's an amazing song. Snotty, an anti-bullshit establishment song. Um, I love this one. And if Johnny was to hear uh, what I'm about to say, he would be completely disgusted with me by saying that I really like the Skid Row version of this. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Skid Row. Uh, what was that? Make a Difference Foundation, whatever. Was that was that on the? That wasn't on Besides Ourselves. No, no, it okay. was on. Oh, uh, it must have, must have been that. Uh, yeah, that that horrible '89 album. Stair, no, it was Stairway to uh, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. I have yeah. that CD. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cinderella Bang. does a Janet Joplin track. Yeah. Bang! Say da 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 da. Yeah, is that on there? I, I, that was terrible, Gorky Park. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but here, I'm gonna throw in a little, a little um, story of what inspired this song. Uh, according to Johnny Rodney, he said uh, the idea to this started when the band went to the uh, Channel Islands and nobody would let them stay in any hotel. And there they are wandering the streets and the beach and trying to find, you know, what the fuck are we going to do? And they ran into a local gang that let them crash at their place. Now, later, Johnny and Sid went to Berlin and they thought, uh, let's see if they'll let us into East Berlin. <laughs> you know? So... So, um, so fucking, they, they got up, they got up on the wall, <laughs> you know, they try to climb the wall to get over. And when they get to the top, there's a bunch of guards pointing rifles right at them. So, uh, and, and the guards were like, I don't think so. And, um, and, uh, that's how the idea came for this song. That's what this song's about. You know, Holiday in the Sun is about their experience of being shunned by not only one, but two places. And yeah. I, I, I love this. What a great opener, too. It's it's the perfect opener for this album, you know? And just uh, that ad, all the other people's misery. You know, I love that shit, you know? He's the working class. He's, he's like uh, Johnny Rotten is uh, the working class uh, hero, the working class spokesman, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, I, I agree. And this album is full of, you know, and there's albums full of contradictions, too, which you'll see coming up but uh what do you think of holiday in the sun oh yeah i love it you know you got a lot of the same notes i do about how they were so happy to get out of london because they felt like you know london was just so depressing at the time they were so hated they went on a vacation to jersey and not new jersey but jersey over in europe and then ended up in berlin uh but man what just what a great riff to start off and i love i love the guitar sound on this album i mean this is for a punk album this is a very great sounding album i mean uh you know you got chris thomas producing it bill price engineering it did an amazing job because as raw as it sounds it still sounds really really fucking good steve jones guitar is just phenomenal uh and you know the, the drumming on it's great but that voice oh my god that sneer from Johnny Rock and if you think about it I mean think about you know how different it was for that time to hear a voice like Johnny Rock but to hear how other people would adapt it it would be you know very much you know a lot of punk bands in particular would adopt that kind of sneer but you know as metalheads you know there'd be no Dave Mustaine sneer without the Johnny Rotten voice. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I think he, he borrowed a lot from that, and he's a huge Pistols fan. And then we go into the classic, oh my God, Bodies. Holy shit. 
that, that's on your version too, right? Bodies is the next song. Yes, sir. Holy shit! What a pummeling! I mean, this is like, you know, you hear any band play this, you know, or any band play music like this. This is gonna start a pit, you know. People are gonna be slamming around. But holy shit, then you get into the abortion rock that is bodies. And, uh, you know, a, a very fucked up tale. Now, Johnny said it's neither pro or anti-abortion, but simply talking about a girl that they knew. And, you know, they, they keep it real in the lyrics. Her name was Pauline. She was from Birmingham. And it was a chick who was in a mental institution who, who lived in a treehouse, <laughs> you know, that was at the fucking mental institution that's all in my notes yeah and, and this chick had a lot of abortions uh she had a lot and she actually got thrown out of uh a couple of clubs for carrying around the aborted fetuses with her in a plastic bag insanity uh, yeah john light said she got thrown out of a discotheque uh for for bringing in a bag with the aborted fetus i mean evidently this is a girl that's you know, not all there, but holy shit, lyrically, the way he describes it, it's pretty fucking, you know, uh, you know, explicit, you know, and it's not just saying fuck this and fuck that, you know, and I mean, that's in there, but I mean, if you actually read the lyrics, it's a pretty, you know, like, wow, uh, tale of an abortion, but, uh, you know, you know, another thing he quotes, uh, in the classic albums that I just watched, you know, he, he said, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, abortion's pretty fucked up, but so's, you know, bringing, it, uh, bringing in a kid that you don't want to take care of either. So, you know, it's kind of weighing the options. But you might not get all that just by listening to the lyrics because it's pretty like, I, I think if you just read the lyrics, you're like thinking like, oh man, he really hates abortions. But, uh, you know, it's never that easy with his lyrics. You know, you really got to read into it and then, you know, hear interviews that he's done. But all that shit aside, it's just a slamming fucking track. And it's really, really, really killer. Uh, an important track on this album. What do you think, Ralph? You know, what I got, you know, because, you know, you can make up your own mind uh, to lyrics. Uh, I always felt like Johnny just didn't give a fuck. You kill the baby or not, I don't care. But, you know, reading what I did, uh, which I'll explain after what I say, how I feel about this song. It's my second favorite track. And you have to think at that time, you know, a song about abortion was fucking insanity. And especially adding all that was fuck this and fuck that thing. And, you know, it, it was almost unheard of to hear fucking a song, but to hear it repeated as much as it was, was fucking insane. I mean... It's a killer, killer song. And it's the only song on the album Sid actually played on. Yes. Uh, it's not uh, Malcolm... What was his name? Um, Goddamn, Matt... Uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, this, this is what... Um, um, who got kicked out of the band for liking the yeah, Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Glenn, Glenn Matlock. <laughs> Glenn Matlock. But actually, Glenn Matlock only plays one song on this album. Right. Both, both him and Sid only play one song. The rest of the bass was played by Steve Jones. Steve Jones, yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, again, this is what this is what uh, Johnny said. Uh, yeah, it was inspired by, uh, and she was like a stalker too. Uh, the band, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, and uh, 
But Johnny said he wrote this song as a pro and anti-abortion song. He believes a woman has the right to choose, but he also said he would not be here for the anti-abortion laws that were around when he was born because his mom would have had him aborted uh, at that time. So Johnny wouldn't be here if uh, there wasn't the, the anti-abortion law at the time. And he also said that fuck this and fuck that, fuck the little fucking brat, I don't want a baby that looks like that, was totally ad-lib. It wasn't written when they recorded the song. He did it on the spot while recording it. And, um, you know, and then they had to change the song around a little bit for it to fit, but it was totally ad-lib. So I fucking love it. Uh, second favorite track. Uh, next one's No Feeling. Uh, the definition, of, I, I guess, of punk rock since I'm a punk rock poser. You know, it's a big fuck you type of song. I love the fuck out of No Feeling. It's so fucking... No feeling, no feeling for you. What you gonna do, you know? And Johnny said, as a kid, Johnny's father took him to many orphanages. I mean, orphans to his house because he would take care of orphans. And one of the orphans was very clingy to Johnny and annoyed the fuck out of him. And And he ended up telling the kid, you know, I'll have no feelings for you. <laughs> he broke the kid's heart. But later he did feel bad about it and has donated to many orphan, orphan charities in his adult life. And he says, uh, the song is ironic because he actually does have feelings for orphans now, you know, but at the time he did it, you know. But even when he wrote No Feelings, it was about that. But even at that time, he felt bad because he did have feelings for these orphans. Orphan kids, you know. Uh, I love No Feelings. What do you think? Oh, I, I, I fucking love it. It's like a, a punk answer to I'm mine. <laughs> you know, like, fuck you, you know. It's all about me. I don't give a shit about you. And I love how, how just like frantic the song is. But we'll go to the next song, which is Liar. And uh, this one, uh, from, from what I can tell, was written about Glenn. Glenn Matlock, uh, the bass player who uh, left before they even finished recording this. And there was a lot of uh, strife back and forth between Glenn and uh, and Johnny. And Glenn was pretty much the guy who wrote the music. I mean, he was the guy responsible for all this shit. I mean, Sid Vicious, Sid Vicious wasn't shit. Sid Vicious was a poster boy. You know, the guy couldn't play bass. He only plays bass on one song on this album, and even that's overdubbed by uh, by Steve Jones. Uh, he, he had the look, he had the attitude, but he didn't have any of the fucking skill. And Glenn, Glenn Matlock was the guy that really, really brought these songs together, and from, you know, weird uh inspirations you know he liked the Beatles he liked ABBA you know he liked all kinds of different shit and he fully admits that's where he got the basis for a lot of these catchy fucking songs that for as heavy as they are for the time just have basic great hooks and feels to them and I think that's why these songs stand up so much but uh Malcolm McCorum their uh their manager uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in the band say he started a lot of this shit because he didn't like uh, Glenn. You know, because Glenn was the nice guy. Glenn wasn't punk enough. Uh, Glenn listened to the Beatles and ABBA, you know, where he was trying to go away from that. And he thought, you know, who gives a fuck if, if Sid Vicious can play? He looks the part. 
better. But uh, I, I think this is this is Johnny's song, like bitching about Glenn. But even Johnny would say, you know, years later, like he felt played, and and a lot of shit was misunderstood. And, you know, he didn't hate Glenn as 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 much as he was led to believe he did, and that he appreciated what he brought to the band. What do you think of this one? Oh, I love this fucking song. Um... Lie, lie, what you gonna do? You know, it sounds like a, uh, you know, I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but this is pretty much no feelings and attitude in it. I just love it. And, uh, but you know, Johnny did say in that thing I saw, this wasn't inspired by one person, it was inspired by many people. And he went off on Malcolm McLaren, you know, because Ma- Malcolm McLaren, which again, we're gonna sidetrack now, but we're gonna sidetrack with Sex Pistols now. Uh, people that hate the Sex Pistols call them a boy band because, as we all know, Malcolm McLaren was responsible of getting them together. They yes. were man- they were manufactured, yes. you know, as uh, a band. And um, but, dude, I mean, come on, yeah, maybe the 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 invention of the Sex Pistols was the same thing that they do to invent boy bands, but really. Really, we're gonna we're gonna call the Sex Pistols a boy band, just because right. of the, the the manufacture part. You're right. stretching it because what they did musically was uh, <laughs> it didn't it didn't make the little girls wet. Let's put it that way, you know. It made right. them made them fucking run for the fucking hills. It's, uh, unless you were some fucking psychotic bitch called Pauline, you know. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, Johnny, and I love this quote from Johnny. Johnny said, I really hated Malcolm. He was a fucking liar. But I got to say, when he would lie, it was the most adorable feature about him. (laughs) (laughs) Take the next one. God saves the queen. She ain't no human being. What a great line. I love that. God save the queen. She ain't no human being. But uh, Johnny said... This song, and by the way, I love this song. I'll just talk. It's fucking classic, but I will say, along with uh, Anarchy in the UK, these are the two songs that, I don't know, man. I don't think they match up with the rest of it. Maybe it's because I'm being countercultural and it's the most popular tracks. And But they're pure sex whistles. They're pure awesome. I'm not saying they're bad, but I guess like there's two tracks on here I'm kind of really burnt out on. And it's these two songs, and I don't know why, you know? Uh, that's a rare one when you get burnt out on songs but not the whole album you know because i can listen to this album all fucking day but um johnny said that this song is very misunderstood it's a very misunderstood song about the monarchy he actually feels bad uh for them because he feels they were raised in a birdcage you know as people he feels bad for them but the concept of the uh monarchy he hated you know, it, you know, it was uh, expressing my point of view of the monarchy in general on anybody that begs uh, your obligation with no thought, and that's unacceptable to me, is the quote he said. But uh, which, which is interesting. You think about it. He's like, you know, you know, when you think God save the queen, she ain't no human being. It sounds like, you know, he's uh, insulting her, but no, he's actually saying. I feel bad because they, they're not raised like regular people. They're raised in bird cages. And I find that very interesting about this song, you know, when I heard that thing. But I, I, I do love God Save the Queen. I'm not bashing it at all. 
But you know, I mean, I just preferred the other tracks. Go ahead, Ian. Uh, well, I'm not burned out on this one at all. Uh, it's it's one of those rare. You'd think I'd be burned out, but I'm not. This was the second single off the album, and uh, uh, amazing. And you know, they took a lot of shit in London. You know, for you know, especially you got to look at the time. I mean, I mean, royalty meant a lot more then than what it means now. You know, I, I think nowadays in modern England. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that belongs to a past generation, and 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 Johnny also said it. This is more of a rally cry, you know, for the working class English, and um, that I totally believe is. It's like you know, we're not subservient to these people. There's nothing special about them, just because they're you know born into a certain family, you know, and we're what keeps you know England and London you know running. Uh, but he said he didn't mean it, you know, as any anything derogatory against the English people. You know, in fact, it was the exact opposite. Like, you know, we all matter. We all matter just as much, if not more, than this queen. And uh, I absolutely love it. All right, well, the next song is Problems, and I've got no fucking problems with this song. I absolutely love this one. Uh, just a great song of, like, angry fucking youth and they fucking nailed this one uh this one there's actually even a, a cover i do like by megadeth have you heard megadeth's version of this yes wasn't that on hidden treasures yeah and i actually didn't mind it i thought it was a much better cover than uh their cover of anarchy in the uk anarchy in the uk is uh i think it's a, a song that's cursed to anybody that tries to cover it or a Motley Crue version? Oh, boy. Oh, God. Oh, we'll get into that later. That's absolutely worse. But I think they did a good job on Problems. But we're talking about the original version of Problems. And just a, a great fucking song. Great attitude to it. Uh, great riff. And just another great slamming fucking track. What do you think? Uh, God, I mirror exactly what you said. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, if I was to explain this song, it would sound exactly what I said about No Feeling or Liar, you know? Uh, and Johnny said this was, you know, their life in a song. You know, he, he lived in a broken down society of junkies and dropouts, and everything was bleak, bleak as fuck. But he also said that the when he says the problem is you, it, he, he meant it as the problem is everybody, including himself. Because... Uh, he just found himself to be a problem, even to himself. And when he says problem, problem is you, he's actually pointing out not only everybody, but himself, you know? So he was kind of self-deprecating himself in this song is what he meant. All right, uh, 17 is the next song. Yeah, flip this motherfucker over. Yes, sir. And boy, I mean, not that this whole album isn't pure attitude, but goddamn, does it reek of pure attitude on this one. You know, it's an attitude, it's, it's, it's like an anthem for those who don't give a fuck and hate any trend and also doesn't want to work. You know, I'm a lazy salt. I'm so lazy. You know, I, I can't be bothered, you know, lazy, lazy, you know. Uh, this song originally was called Lonely Boy, a song that Steve, um, Steve wrote. And it, it, it's kind of a really basic uh, and uh, what Johnny said is I grabbed 
hold of it and turned it into a teenage angst. You know, uh, he said, I titled it 17 because that's the age where everything hurts the most. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's 17. What do you think? Oh, I love it. And to me, it, this is a punk rock version of 18 by Alice Cooper. You know, it's funny because they never say 17 in the lyrics. You yeah. know, it starts out with, you're 29. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if you listen to the lyrics, it's it's kind of, it talks about the same thing that Alice Cooper talked about in 18. And John Lydon was a huge fan of Alice Cooper. And as a matter of fact, he auditioned for the uh, Sex Pistols singing Alice Cooper. Uh singing 18 yeah and uh but yeah i love that i'm a lazy sod you know and it's just i'm so lazy yeah it, it, it just has the angst of that age and, and you just don't know what's coming up next and but on the other hand you don't even give a fuck because you're just living day to day and uh it, it's punk through and through man i fucking love it well, then we go into the first single off this album, the first song that anybody would hear from the Sex Pistols, and that is Anarchy in the UK. Uh, holy shit. Is this a fucking masterpiece? The only song on the album featuring the bass of Glenn Matlock, and probably the, the song that has the most bass out of any song on this album. But, uh, wow. Wow. Does this this just sum up everything about the Sex Pistols in one fucking song. You know, I am an, an I'm the Antichrist and I am an anarchist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I'm gonna destroy possibly. You know, it just it just fucking amazing. The attitude just seeps through this fucking song, and everything about musically it's on point. Lyrically it's on point. And this is something, you know, it's been covered multiple times and never correctly. And, you know, Megadeth did it, didn't do it right. Uh, Motley Crue did it and, and fucked it up like only Motley Crue could. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's funny that Dave Mustaine ended up changing the lyrics to it because he didn't, he couldn't understand what uh, what Johnny Rott was saying. The part where he says other cunt-like tendencies. Yeah. And between the Bill Grundy show and this song... It was on the on the British charts, and they left it blank because they wouldn't even write the name of this. And there's a lot of people who say that this went to number one, which supposedly was kept off number one by Rod Stewart. But a lot of people in the industry say that Sex was actually sold more, but they wouldn't admit it because you know the British press and and record industry was trying to like hide this shit, like they were ashamed of this shit. You know, and this was, you know, while they were still on another label, this was before the album even came out. This was a number one song. But it was held to number two. But yet they weren't allowed to play it on the radio. A lot of stores weren't allowed to sell it. That's how revolutionary this was. Just fucking killer. What do you think, Ralph? Well, like I said, I'm burnt out on this song. But I still think it's killer. You know, with an opening line like I am an Antichrist, really will get some attention in 77. And like I said earlier, Johnny Rotten was stabbed uh, because of this song, basically. Or, or, you know, either this or God Save the Queen. I mean, it was, there were some people really pissed off at him, you know, being, you know, an anarchist. And uh, But I also have to do a little side note with uh, when Vince Neil and, and uh, Nikki Six hosted Headbangers Ball when Decade of Decadence came out. 
uh, Vince Neil goes, you know, Johnny Rotten called me the other day, and Nick and Nikki Six looked at him. He's like, what? And he goes, yeah. He said he he said he said he heard the version and he loved it. And fucking Nikki Six is like, no, he didn't. <laughs> and then and then Vince was kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, yeah, bullshit. You know that fucking when Johnny heard that shit, he's like, he probably fucking freaked out saying, man, this shit sucks. <laughs> But this is what Johnny said about, now I'm going to quote Johnny Rotten, what he said about anarchy in the UK. This is what he said. I've always thought that anarchy is a mind game for the middle class. It's a luxury. It can only be afforded in a democratic society. Therefore, kind of a slight fucking, it's kind of slight fucking, slightly fucking redundant. Uh, It also offers no answer. And I hope in my songwriting, I'm offering some kind of answer to the thing. Rather than spiteful wanting to wreck everything for no reason at all, other than it's, it doesn't suit you. Uh, I've always got to bear in mind I'm part of a community called the human race and an even tighter community called culture. Uh, why would we want to destroy uh, these things that are willy-nilly? Uh, that's what he had to say about it. All right, uh, submission. Oh. Like you said, this is a song that uh, uh, wasn't on the original version, although I, I I know it was on the version I bought back in 79, maybe early 80s. Uh, I think this song sticks out. Musically, it's very different, you know. And uh, Johnny said it's his vision of a, of a love song, you know. And I love the solo in this song. It's not a guitar. It's like fart noises. <laughs> It's so fucking weird. It's like, I love that, you know? And uh, here's what Johnny said. He said, Submission is the closest thing to a love song we did that was written by two people that didn't like each other. It's too easy to write a nasty piece of animosity against each other. Uh, Both of us are capable of that, but why bother, you know? Let's take it to the higher ground. Find something we both like. You know, and a genuine love of human beings. That's what he thinks. He says is the is the reason. You know, the uh, uh, behind the song submission. Where I always thought it was about, you know, uh, you know, dominate, you know, sexual dominating. You know, you know, I'm on a submarine mission to you, baby. I always thought it was a song about, you know, uh, being a master to a submissive chick. But it's not, as uh, Johnny Ron exclaims. What do you think of Submission? Uh, this is definitely, definitely one of my favorite tracks on the album. And I love, because it does stick out like a sore thumb. But it's awesome. But you, you're, you're kind of on the mark on this, because this was something that was given to him from Malcolm McLaren. said, I want you to write a song called Submission. Because he wanted them to write a, an S&M song. You know, that was kind of in line with, like, the clothes he was selling and all this weird shit. And and Glenn and, and uh, Johnny looked at themselves like, well, that's a bit naff, you know. Uh, you know, th- that that's what they expect. Let, let's do something different, you know. And uh, he, I think it was Johnny who said, uh, it was either Johnny or Glenn said, ah, let's write a song about a submarine mission. You know, and they kind of did that, you know, but then, you know, mixed in like a, you know, like a love theme with it too, though. Uh, This is definitely, definitely a standout track to me. 
not only because it does stick out like a sore thumb, but it's just so fucking good. Oh, man, is, is, is this... You know, if you could call something on this album a deep cut, to me this would be one of them because it was never a single. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't get played out like Anarchy in the UK or God Said the Queen or Holidays in the Sun or Pretty Bacon. You know, but, oh, man, just a killer track. Probably, it, it's hard because all these songs are so good. I don't know if I what I would call a top three. Definitely my top five. I love Submission. Fucking love it. Well, then we go into another song that was uh, requested by uh, Malcolm McLaren, and that's Pretty Bacon, the third single off this album. Oh, my God, do I love this motherfucker. I mean, just that that beginning riff from Steve Jones is amazing. And uh, this one, they had problems getting on the radio with this one just because of the way he pronounced Vacant. You know, you say pretty vague cunt, you know, and and radio stations took objection to that. Uh, but I love it. it. It's part of the snarl, man. Uh, you know, and it's uh, to me, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Richard Hell song, uh, Blank Generation. Uh, you know, it fits in with that whole like, you know, we just don't care. Eh, I mean, they even say that in the lyric, you know, Uh I love it. I love it. Definitely a standout track. Uh, and this one, I don't know if it, you know, it de- well, I guess say it definitely doesn't get as much attention as Anarchy or uh, God Save the Queen. But to me, it's just as catchy and just as important, man. Definitely in my top five. Love Pretty Bacon. What do you think? Since the day I bought this album to today, this has always been my favorite track off this album. And again, like you said, I love how he emphasizes cunt in the word without saying it as the word cunt. I just feel like it's so genius how he does that, you know? And uh, here's what he said about it. He goes uh, about Pretty Bacon. Uh, Here's an irony in that song because we weren't very pretty and we were far from vacant. Uh, Maybe I should. I would have had an easier life. I'd be dead wrong, but... It would have been really easy. No, you can't get sucked into the system. Can't allow that. And I said, it's pretty vacant as is, uh, no, and then, you know, he goes, uh, and I said, pretty vague cunt as a sneaky one on my behalf. <laughs> Gotta love that. All right, the next song, New York. Uh, oh man, I gotta quote some lines from this song because it's so good. It's like, I love the line where he goes, there's two there's two lines I got to quote from the song. Where he goes, you're just a pile of shit. You're coming to this, you poor little faggot. You seal with a kiss. Kiss me. And, uh, <clears throat> and then uh, I love this line even more. He goes, you think it's well playing in Japan where everybody knows Japan is a dishpan. You're, ju- <laughs> you're just a pile of shit. You're coming to this. You poor little faggot. You seal with a kiss. Uh, and here's what he says about the song. He said, the word faggot in the song is not about the New York Dolls because they certainly uh, were not. It's out of the, it's out of to, it's out to an audience that just wants to misinterpret everything. And you have to bear in mind that faggot in England at the time, uh, it was an advert 
uh, for it in London. It was uh, a northern dish, faggots and gravy. And they were trying to introduce it to the southern England um, with their hideous advert. I can't remember the company, but it was a product that would never wa uh, wash well with a Londoner. It might not come off the way in the song, but that is certainly where I took the reference from. And I do that a lot. Uh, whatever the scenario around me is, I, I will absorb uh, when in Rome. And he also said, you know, it's about the New York Dolls, but it's also not about them. So he's very vague. Like a lot of his songs, you know, you think it's one thing and a lot of people write it down like, oh, this is about the New York Dolls, you know, without like really talking to Johnny about it. But, you know, it, I guess he does, you know, he said, you know, it is and it isn't. So take it for what it is. But I love New York. And again, you know, like, fuck this and fuck that. Here you have, you're just a pile of shit and saying faggot. And for the longest time, that line, you poor little faggot, I always thought he was saying, you poor no faggot. You know, the way it sounds, you porn faggot. And not until, not until you know, I I uh, I read the uh, read the lyrics on this thing. I was like, oh, he says poor little faggot. I always thought it was you porno faggot. You know. Anyway, I I love it. It's fucking one of my probably my third favorite off the album. I love New York. What do you think? Wow, wow. this is the one. This always used to be my least favorite song on the album. And I, I don't know what it was, but it just, it never, it, it wasn't something that I disliked, but it never stood out to me the way the other tracks did. But as I was listening to it today, like, you know, over, I, I listened to the album, like, maybe about four times today and watched that, the, the video and stuff. And the guitar riff just hit me. And I was like, God damn. I love this shit. This isn't a bad song. Well, I, like I said, I never thought it was a bad song. It was just my least favorite. But my respect for it really jumped up today. It's like, God damn, that's a killer song too. Like, God, there's no fucking bad song on this album. You know, and that's just mind-blowing. I mean, just really good. Really good. I never I never knew exactly what he was talking about. There, I, I didn't know he was talking about New York Dolls. I never got that... I thought he was talking more about the New York scene and more like a comment on America. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd have to reread the lyrics now thinking about the New York Dolls uh, aspect of it. But this is definitely one that jumped up in my opinion as of today. And where it was the only song where I was like, eh, and now I'm like, fucking, man, New York kicks ass too. But then we go into the last track. EMI! Hello. Uh, uh, I fucking love this one, and, and this is just, just a great track. Uh, you know, of course, it was written later in the sessions because it's about how they were originally signed to EMI when uh, Anarchy in the UK was released. It was when they were with EMI, but due to pressure, uh, you know, you know, between the Bill Grundy appearance and, and all this other shit, you know, they got dropped by the label. Later, got signed to Virgin. You know, and Virgin had to go to the court over the title of the album. There was a court case over the title of the album, whether it could be released or not in England, saying it was a vulgar, uh, you know, word and, and couldn't be, uh, you know, released. 
but uh, they, uh, Richard Branson, who owns the Virgin, had to go to court for all this shit, and they did win the court case. It was able to get released. But even then, a lot of radio stations wouldn't play it. Uh, record stores wouldn't sell it. But, you, I mean, just the buzz was so big around this band. You know, kids found a way to get it. And uh, great, great song. And a great, a great song to take a piss out of the record label that, you know, signed them initially because they wanted something controversial. And then they were sorry when they got it, you know. And they're just like, ah, fuck you, you bunch of pussies. I love EMI. What do you think? Yeah, it's so fucking catchy. Probably the catchiest song on the album. And yes, it is a song about their great rock and roll swindle. They pretty much uh, turned the tables on EMI. They fucked EMI before EMI could fuck them. Because, you know, record companies are, are, you know, known to fuck over artists and shit. Well, they they, they took it upon themselves to fuck everything up. And, uh... But uh, I love it. It probably my this would be my uh, third favorite on the album. In order, I would say, um, "Pretty Vacant," "Bodies," and "EMI" are my top three tracks on here. Uh, nice. And he, and here's what uh, Johnny said. He said, "E and I wanted to sign us uh, to show what a grand, varied label they were, but they really were not. The song was fun to write. It was actually mostly done in the studio because the groove was there." And it was relentless. It was a lovely hypnotic trance-like state uh, to get into. They just wanted to be famous for us to make a lot of money for them. And that and that was it. <clears throat> and uh, that was a really that's that was a real bit of disappointment with this lot coming out of the hippie generation, shall we say. And they were so commercially wrapped up inside profit that it led to their ultimate decline that's why we have t-shirts that said never trust a hippie it was very well aimed you know i love this fucking song and 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 something we got to talk about like it's just a little footnote about the bill grundy interview i absolutely love the shirt steve jones wore in that interview oh with the tits yeah Yeah, it's like a naked chick on his chest like tits on his chest (laughs) it's so cool you know it's like uh, oh, I, and it all, and you know, that whole interview started, the whole controversy was really Johnny. You know, Johnny said something, he goes, Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. And, and, uh, oh, we're on TV. What was that? And he's like, Shit. And that's when Steve Jones went ape shit, you know. And the guy kept telling him, Well, what'd you say? You know, yeah, fuck me, you f- fucking fucker. <laughs> it was fucking awesome. And I guess that was live TV, you know. Yeah. And, and- they got on there because uh, Queen uh, pulled out. Queen was supposed to do it, and they were on the same label. Queen was on EMI in England. And uh, so uh, so they're just like, oh, give us another band on your label. And they got the Sex Pistols. <laughs> and, 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 what, a, what, a, what a fucked up choice. And, and there's another great story about uh, the Sex Pistols and Queen being in the studio at the same time. And at the same time they're recording this. Uh, Johnny Rod goes to the studio while while Freddie's recording on the piano and and Johnny's crawling on all fours and he just crawls over and then looks up at Freddie goes, "Hey Freddie," and then crawls away, <laughs> walks away, <laughs> and, and they went and talked to uh, the producer of the album and said, "One of your guys just walked in while Queen was recording. Don't let that happen again." <laughs> 
I mean, God damn, Johnny Rotten is so cool, man. He's so cool. Like, if you listen to his interviews, he really is for the people. Oh, of, of course. And, and and just, he is legit all the way around, man. Oh, he doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's fucking brutal. He is very fucking brutally honest, you know? Even when, you know, he may be wrong in some stuff, but he'll stand up for it. He doesn't give a fuck. Oh, you don't think it? Well, I do, you know? Even if it's wrong, Johnny will stay, you know, he's convicted, you know, I mean, right. to, to stay with uh, his thoughts. And you got to love him for that. You know? I, I, I love at the end of uh, the, the classic albums, you know, where they start talking about the breakup of the band, you know, and of course they took this on the road and, and it all blew up here in America. And he says, you know what? He, he goes, we might not want to hang around each other. He goes, but we all love each other. He goes, and we're proud of each other. He goes, but we'll never admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta love it. Did you ever see uh, when he was on Conan O'Brien? Uh, this was a real classic one. He goes on Conan O'Brien and uh, he was promoting his book. And uh, Conan said, uh, you know, Conan just brought up something how, like how much he hated like Pink Floyd and all that shit. And he was like, you know, you know, in retrospect, Pink Floyd wasn't all that bad. I mean, they're not horrible like the Allman Brothers. And the Allman Brothers was the musical guest that night on the show. <laughs> 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 he fucking rules. Oh, man. Well, that is Nevermind the Bullocks. Uh, released October 28, 1977 on Virgin in the UK and Warner Brothers in the US. Uh, it has gone platinum. Uh, in the U.S. and double platinum in the U.K. I'm sure the the platinum in U.S. was many years later, right? Uh, I'm, I, on this one, as I'm looking on Wikipedia, they don't have the year. Sometimes they have the year that it eventually went platinum. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was years later. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, it was an instant seller in the U.K. Instant seller. But yeah, uh, I, I believe I, I I would venture to say probably in the '90s maybe it went platinum over here um but but this is a landmark album and and uh like i said i think it's the finest punk album and and sorry to fans of the ramones or the fucking clash and and these are all bands that i love and even even you know the clash i love the clash they're you know uh london calling i believe is a fantastic album not as good as this this, this, to me, is the greatest punk album of all time. I don't care if the Black Flag, fucking uh, Misfits, Ramones, whatever. I don't think there was ever a better punk album than this. And it's also to think a manufactured band made the greatest punk album. Yeah. And I it, agree. I agree, man. This is the best fucking punk album. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely fucking amazing. And uh, a, a pleasure to talk about this. I know... <laughs> I know... Uh, uh, we had a we had a fake episode. I think it was our our first rock and pod. I, I said, never mind the bullocks. Here's the rock and pod, <laughs> you know. But that, now we have the full fucking. You know, we we do this landmark album, and I'm so happy to do it. Uh, great great one to talk about. All right, well now it's time to go into pick of the week. And Ralph, do you have a pick of the week? I sure do. Awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna stray by your usual pick of the week. My pick of the week is the handwritten letter Johnny Rotten sent the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh. 
And that, I like that to was read beautiful. It. That was yeah. beautiful. I like to read it, so bear with me because I'm reading it from Johnny's handwriting. <laughs> this is what he says. This is what he sends the, the Rock and Roll of Fame. He goes, next to the Sex Pistols, Rock and Roll, and that Hall of Fame is a piss stain. Your museum urine is wine. We're not coming. We're not your monkey. And so what? Fame at $25,000 if we paid for a table or $15,000 for a squeak up in the gallery goes to a nonprofit organization selling us a load of old famous congratulations. If you voted for us, hope you noted your reasons. You're anonymous and judges, but you're still music industry people. We're not coming. You're not paying attention outside the shit stain uh, is a real is a real sex pistol. Johnny Rotten. God, I love that man. God, I love that man. And what was so funny is that idiot John Warner actually read it at the inductions. <laughs> That's Which is awesome. awesome. Love it, man. Fuck you guys, you know. We're not coming. So, and you gotta love it. You gotta applaud him. Uh, all you Axel haters, at least he fucking told them to go shove it up their ass. And unfortunately, fucking Sharon Osbourne said Ozzy straight because Ozzy did it too, you know. Ozzy said, "Fuck your Hall of Fame, I ain't doing that shit." And then they, and then they uh, inducted Black Sabbath. She's like, "Ozzy, yes, Sharon, you know, pussy wet motherfucker. Love you, Ozzy, but goddamn it, man. Oh, you think you think that Sharon Osbourne's like, you know, when you fuck her, like sparks fly out of her ass? You think that pussy's really that good?" No, or is the or was or was the drugs really that good? You know, no. But I think what you would have to pay if you divorced her would be that large. Yeah, there you go. That's but I but I love it. That's definitely one of my favorite picks of the week to ever. Johnny Rotten's letter to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, and and they were the first band to show the balls to say, "Fuck you." Yeah, you, you know. And there, there's been a couple have done it after, but nobody's done it as good as the Sex Pistols, you know, and, and, and Johnny Rotten, you know, uh, you know, in particular. He's a pisser. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and it makes so much fucking sense. It's like you're charging $25,000 for a table, you know, it's like, really? Oh, yeah. that's, that's rock and roll. Well, you know, you know who, who also went off on that was Steve Miller. But Steve Miller, you got to give it to that guy. That guy was brutal and he did that shit up on stage you know oh yeah and he uh, went off and then on the and then he was even worse when they talked to him afterwards oh yeah but he, 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 he talked he, he, he talked shit about the black keys who were inducting him too. <laughs> <laughs> so i love got, that yeah you didn't expect that from steve miller but more the motherfucker's a badass after that i was like yeah. man I have so much respect for this man you know and, and, and like another horrible thing with the rock and roll hall of fame and uh, I mean, as much as I love this band, I, I love it. But you know, Parliament Funkadelic was was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you know, first of all, two separate bands I share a lot of members, but technically two separate bands. But they were inducted as one entity, and there were so many musicians who came in and out of that band. I think they inducted twenty eight members. Uh, for, for Parliament Funkadelic. But yet they tell KISS you can only have the original four. 
And it's really, I mean, you can see like the reverse racism, like how, you know, we can't tell yeah. a black, we can't tell a black band, you know, and, and I, I hate saying shit like that because there is a lot of racism that, that, that is fucked up. But, but here's an example of reverse racism. Like you're going to tell them they can have 28 members, some, you know, who were touring members, some who like just sang backup vocals, but then you tell other rock bands that only, oh, okay. Only the good members are allowed. And that's bullshit. That, that's but if they could have all twenty-eight people inducted in for them, then Kiss should even have shit members like Mark St. John inducted. You know what I mean? Well, and also you got to remember, even though they're white, I mean, and this shows their the pure, uh, you know, cluelessness of of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, they didn't they didn't induct uh, Nick Simpler, but yeah. yet they put in Rod Evans. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that and that just shows their Grammy award type of mentality because the Grammys, you know, in a way you kind of like I give a pass to the Grammys because the Grammys are just idiots. They don't, they don't know what's up. You know, they give awards to Millie Vanilli and shit like that. So I mean, that's a fucking joke where these people are trying to be like credible. I mean, how is it that you're going to induct the E Street Band? I mean, that's ridiculous to me. You should you should induct Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I mean, but they did that shit separately while all while Judas Priest is still not in there. Or, right. You know, and I can think of non-metal bands that should be in there, but it's the thing is that I don't keep up with the crap, so I don't know who's in there or not. But I wonder if War is in there. You know, no, no, they're not. And War and War was 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 very influential back in the seventies. Right. You know? Right. No. But but you have you have you have rap bands in there uh yeah madonna yeah yeah, yeah and, ABBA, and stuff, and you and know stuff like feel, that you know how i feel about abba they're not supposed to be in there dude abba's a fucking right. well, here, disco band here, here's here's the thing you know there is a country music hall of fame you know but yet you know nobody's throwing a, a hissy fit because led zeppelin's not in the country music hall of fame because they shouldn't be right you know and, and you're throwing in you're throwing in you know rap artists just uh you know so you look like you're not prejudiced now there's there should be a separate rap hall of fame i agree i agree there are some great rap artists that should be acknowledged you know should be you know given attention to who who brought brought that form of music to what it is but it's not rock and roll you know and, and to have and to add them and exclude actual rock and roll pioneers, eh, you know, I mean, that that's a whole nother episode. But, but, I, you know, but again, and I've said this before, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, what really upsets me the most about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame itself. What upsets me is people, fans out there clamoring to get their band in this facade. It's like, why... You know, first they're going to complain. Oh, my God, they put NWA, they put Madonna in there. Put my band in there. It's like, dude, they got Madonna and NWA. You don't like them in there. Then why do you want your band in this place that but, but are that's, that That's nerds who want any kind of validation they can get. In my, in, in my opinion. In my, uh, in my and, opinion. And as much as we goof on Kiss, Paul Stanley went up there and ripped on the Hall of Fame, too. And I gotta give it. I mean, that's probably the greatest thing Paul's done, other than those classic Kiss songs. Right. I mean, when he went up on stage and his his induction, he actually went up there 
and bash the Hall of Fame, which again, I got a hand in Paul Stanley for doing that. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, as much as I bash on Kiss, if you have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Kiss 1000% deserves to be in there because first and foremost, it's your legacy, who you've inspired. How many bands has Kiss inspired? Alone, not not even if you don't like their music, how many people have picked up a guitar because of Kiss? You know, people like, you know, metal bands to Garth Brooks. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I, I, I mean, and that, and that's the funny thing. You you'll probably see Garth Brooks in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before you'll see well, Judas Priest. Well, here's the thing: you'll see you'll see a lot of bands that Kiss influenced. I mean, it has been proven. There's a lot of bands that Kiss influenced that were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before Kiss. Oh yeah, you know. So. It's but just, uh, it's, a, it's a facade and fuck the play. I don't care. Rock and roll fame. I care more about the idiots out there that keep clamoring to get people in this place. You're giving them, you know, credence. You're giving them like some yeah, kind yeah. of, uh, you know, it's like, why, you know, the best thing to do is like fucking ignore them. Yeah. Don't give a fuck, but no. And, and, and the thing is like, you want them to induct somebody, but they still think you're a fucking idiot for liking them. And and that and that's a fucked up thing. Is it, like you want Rolling Stone to say they like your band, but if you were to walk in wearing one of their shirts, they'd be like, "Look at this fucking loser, wearing this fucking shirt. What a fucking loser!" You know, these people still don't like you. They still don't like your band. Well, the reason that Kiss was in there and all these bands that they don't want in there is because now they're giving people like Tom Morello and oh, yeah. Eddie, and even Eddie Trunk, well, people it, like that get a vote. It's it's not just that it's it it goes much deeper than that. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has been losing a lot of money for years. Oh, good, because nobody gives a shit. So they're putting in people that they know will put asses in the seats. Oh, like, I didn't know that. That's great. Oh, That's great. oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Like putting in bands like Death Leopard and shit and stuff like that. It's because they know people will show up for that, and right. they've been ha- they've been having problems, you know, because they have their elitist list. And don't get me wrong, I like a lot of the shit that's on the elitist list. But but I mean, you know, certain shit I you know I don't you know I don't believe belongs in there. But you know, uh, you know, but they're trying to make money, so they're they're bowing down and letting in people that they still don't like, that they still don't approve of. And you know, Kiss is a perfect example of that. Like, okay, fine, we'll let you in, but you can only induct the first four. We're not letting you induct anybody else, even though. You know, Bruce Kulick was on albums that sold fucking millions of copies. Yep. But he's not allowed to be in there. You know, but yet people are like, they can't hear so much that Kiss is in there. But it's still a backhanded compliment. Well, that, that, and again, I got to say this, to in uh, which something, because, you know, I don't keep up with this bullshit. What you just said about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they're letting these people in because they're losing money. Right. Which emphasizes more why this place is the most fucking fake place ever because they're selling out <laughs> their own fucking opinions on music for money that shows they're bitches it's the bitch rock and roll thing it's the it's the uh, uh bitch for hall of fame do you know this, this is a true story this is a true story <laughs> my mom is part of a campaign to get Redbone inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame is that can't... like a blues guy no Redbone that Come and get your love. 
You know that song, Come and Get Your Love? Oh, I'm going to have a talking with your mom, man. Dun, 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 dun. You know, a lot of people know it now because it's in fucking one of those uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. But you'd, you'd know the song if you heard it. Right. But, I, but I'm, I'm like, I'm like, Mom, why do you care? She's like, because they're a great band. I'm like, yeah, but who gives a fuck? But, you know, Mom's old, you know? She, yeah. she cares about shit like that. But, you know, you know... I'm surprised yeah. your mom doesn't want my cock in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure she likes that way more than Redbone. I don't she know. Likes, she, said, she likes she, the thick bone more. She said it wasn't that impressive, but uh, well, to, try to, to try to get <laughs> to try to get some money, she might she might vote for it. Yeah. <laughs> I want Doctor Fuck cock in the rock and roll thing, but I, I and, think, and I'll be all for that. I want to go there and give him my cock and fucking piss all over the place. That'd be awesome. Go go imagine. Can you imagine Doctor Fuck's cock is inducted. In, I walk out on stage, I take on my cock out it. Hey, you got anything to say? And I start peeing on fucking, uh, on, on what, what's the guy's name that produced uh, Thriller? <laughs> uh, Quincy Jones. I love Thriller, by the way. I, I don't mind Quincy Jones, but I'll pee on him anyway. Because he's going to be front row. <laughs> uh, but getting back to the Pistols, uh, another guest. Uh, I, I need to work on this because I'm friends with him on Facebook and, and we joke around every once in a while. I got to get Noel Monk on here, who Noel Monk was the manager of Van Halen during the right. classic years. Yeah. But but he was also the I manager know. of the Pistols on their U.S. tour. So, uh, I mean, he wrote a book even before the Van Halen book detailing just how insane the Sex Pistols tour was. He talked about in Van Halen book. I got the audio book. I heard it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we got to get him on here to talk about it. But anyway, back to my pick of the week. Uh, and I'm going to uh, to proto punk and post punk, uh, but I'm going to the Godfather of punk, and that is Iggy Pop. And uh, my first pick, I believe I probably picked this before, but uh, again, if you haven't heard this album, check it out. It's absolutely amazing. It's Iggy Pop and James Williamson Kill City. Uh, this is an album where they snuck Iggy out of rehab uh, to record over the weekend. Uh, and it, it is absolutely a masterpiece. Uh, James Williamson was the guitar player in the last incarnation of the Stooges uh, when it changed to Iggy and the Stooges, and Kill City is just fucking phenomenal. And my second pick of the week is the brand new album that Iggy just put out, and way, way different than uh, you know his last album he put out, an album he did with Josh Homme from Caius and Queens of the Stone Age. I thought it was very good, post-pop depression. Uh, but he said he just felt drained after that tour. Like, really drained. And this album is more, it's kind of got a, like a, a jazzy feel, but not like, you know, don't think like, you know, uh, John Coltrane or fucking, uh, you know, Miles Davis jazz. But it's definitely got a, a, a different beat and different flow to it, but it's really good. It's called Free... And uh, I was very happy. When I heard the first track, I was a little like, eh, I don't know about this. But to hear the whole album as, you know, as a complete work of art, uh, it really flows great. And, I mean, Iggy at fucking 72 is still pushing boundaries, still doing different type shit. Uh, but check out Kill City, I believe is from 1977. And, uh, and Free just came out this week. So those are my picks of the week. 
Just a side note, um, there's uh, the CBGB's in South Florida. Is a place called Churchill's, which is located in Little Haiti. You see chickens walking around, a lot of uh, black magic going on over there. Uh, I played there so many times, and uh, the last time I played there, there was a shootout, a drive-by where I was standing. <laughs> uh, Iggy Pop, uh, post-pop depression, uh, filmed the video inside Churchill's. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then next door to Churchill's is Sweat Records. It's a record store, and when you walk in, there's a huge mural of a painting of Iggy Pop. Nice. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. Churchill's. And by the way, I hate Churchill's. I've always, Churchill's have been there since 1979. It is a landmark place. There's a documentary on Churchill's on, on YouTube that I highly recommend people check out, just so you know how crazy that place is. And I'm in the documentary. I mean, it's a, it's like a two second clip of Thrasher Die playing there. But um, it's, uh, there's things I absolutely love about Churchill's and then there's things I dread. I, I will say now, uh, they got a decent sound man, but man, back in the day, man, that I used to, when it, playing up on Churchill's on the stage, it sounded like rockets, you know, like fucking UFOs and rocket ships were landing on stage. I didn't know what was going on. We, the whole band wouldn't. It's like, we were just going on instinct. Cause we're up there, I mean, and the, the fucked up part, the crowd can hear the band fine. But up on stage, it's like, I'm like, what the fuck is that, shit? And then I'm like, uh-oh, we're going to play Churchill's again. Let's <laughs> practice hard for this shit, you know? But now they got a good sound, man, and it sounds really good up on stage. But that place is such a shithole. I've taken many pictures in that bathroom. That bathroom is something else. But, uh, yeah, Churchill's, it's... Uh, you know, and I've seen a lot of bands, you know, play there, you know, come through and play there. Like Death Angel, we opened for them when they did the whole ultraviolence in the place. Iggy nice. Pop has played there several times. Uh, Marilyn Manson got his start there. Uh, it's a very historic place, so check out, and I don't know what song it was from Post Depression, but check out the documentary. It's really good. Nice. All right, well, now it's time to go on to Fan of the Week, and uh, Fan of the Week this week is very very special to me uh i love this woman with all my heart and that's bridget rush and bridget is a co-worker of mine and ralph you'll back me up on this uh we have a really hard time getting people we actually know in real life to listen to this <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh it's it's really hard because people you know day to day you know, you're just some schmuck to them. You know, oh yeah, you got, you got a podcast, great, whatever. You know, people listen to this show who don't know us, and you you think we're like we're this or we're that. No, most people they, just they have no idea what they're missing out on. <laughs> yeah, they have no idea. Like sometimes, it, like annoy, like people I've known my whole life that love this music. I'm like, dude, listen to my show. You know, and they could just give a flying fuck. But uh, Bridget is a coworker of mine. And not only is she an amazing person, but she's an amazing artist. I, I mean, she does all kinds of, you know, sculptures and, and you know, woodwork and just all very autistic person, not autistic, artistic person, uh, but always believed in, in what we do and has been a very early supporter uh, of, of my radio show, of the podcast. She donates every year. And, and always donates way more than she has to. <laughs> like, whatever it is to get an episode, she's going to donate way more than that. And, and this is a woman 
who, you know, in late 70s, early 80s, was so taken by the punk scene, uh, she left America and went to went to England and to Europe and just backpacked around and became part of the punk scene. I mean, so she lived all this shit. She is my punk rock girl, and, and she loves listening to the show, even though a lot of, she's a punk girl. She's not a metal girl. You know, we haven't done too much punk, uh, but listens all the time and supports what I do because she believes in it. And that means the fucking world to me, you know? And we have a lot of listeners who say, you know, we'll listen to it whether we like that band or not. And that's great. I appreciate it. This woman is the epitome of that. She just believes in what we do and, and supports us. And, 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 I mean, she is just salt of the earth. And, uh, God, you know, even when she donated, she donated $60. You know, and it's, well, you know, 40 to pick it, 60 to guess. She's like, no, nah, I don't want to guess. She's like, I don't even care. You pick the album. I don't, whatever. I trust you, you know, you know. And when I put up a thing on the Facebook page the other week, I was like, hey, somebody give me an album, you know, because I was looking for something that you didn't have to study. I was like trying to like, we got to do, you know, we got to knock out some of these fan requests. And, uh, <laughs> and she actually requested Van Halen too. And I'm like, honey, we already did that one. You missed that episode. She's like, oh. And I'm like, how about Sex Pistols? I, I, I know you you know, you know, love your punk. And she's like, oh, that would be amazing. So I'm so happy to do this for her. And, and again, you know, it does, it means a lot when people who know us uh, take a chance and listen to us. Because I believe in this show. I believe in what we do. I think we're damn good at it. And uh, it, it does get discouraging when people who are you know your friends in, in in real life not that people you know in the community aren't our friends but people we've known forever like really you don't believe in us enough to check this out so when people do it means a lot and thank you so much bridget i love you and uh i appreciate your donation this year and every year yeah thank you bridget and uh she's into sculpting huh yes wow man if i ever get to meet her i'd like i would love for her to do a plaster cast of me uh, she, she only does large works of art. Oh fuck that! Forget that then. Yeah, yeah, never mind. I mean, she wasn't have to. She doesn't have to use a lot of plaster. It's a very yeah. little amount. She li- she likes girls too. Yeah, I know this. I know this girl. You talk, women, I should say. You talked to me about her before, so I I know I know about this girl, and I want to thank her a lot. You see, I could be nice to girls that I know I can't fuck. <laughs> All right, well, if you enjoyed this fucking punk rock fantastic classic album episode, come back next week when we return to the fan-requested episodes. Is this something I hate, or is this something Ralph hates? Chances are you're going to get one or the other. But that's that's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. And fuck the people that want bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They suck more than the actual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame word. You ever feel like you've been cheated? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you've, been, you've been cheated if you want your fucking band in that place, you fucking idiot. No offense, but you're a fucking idiot. What a long outro. Goodbye. Page.